Welcome into the Emerging Cricket Podcast, this early January edition. Daniel Bazic alongside Nick Skinner. Welcome into the new year. Nick, you've been busy recording as well with Aman and Nate on beginnings. There's been a lot of Emerging Cricket chat actually in the last, well, I suppose the start of 2024. Uh, first of all, how are you? How did you spend uh, the new year welcoming it in and uh, how's things? Yeah, new year was nice. Copenhagen does fireworks in a much more distributed way than than I'm used you know in Sydney where there's one place the designated area and everyone sort of congregates and and they plonk down all the fireworks and just shoot them all off at once uh in Copenhagen pretty much everyone's just popping off fireworks wherever they feel like it the roads the next day I had to go into town just you know fireworks covered all over the roads um uh but uh, yeah it was quite spectacular um it wasn't it wasn't as intense as last time I was here uh it, 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 my where I'm living's um, a more kind of family-friendly area, so uh, it, it wasn't quite the war zone that uh, it, it gets in the centre of town, where you know you, you kind of there's smoke everywhere and you, you can't even see where you're going. But uh, yeah, re- really fun New Year. Uh, good, good to get back to Iceland for Christmas as well and uh, see some friends and see some snow. Although it's been snowing here in Denmark as well, and um, yeah, very festive uh, start to the year uh, nice and cozy inside it's about minus five outside it's a uh, yeah lovely lovely time to Oof. be recording uh, I envy the the night out it sounds uh, enjoyable actually I don't envy the cold uh, spent New Year's Eve here with the annual traditional uh, Central Coast Mariners home game mm. uh, managed to get a victory against Perth which is always fun best football ground in the world if you haven't seen Central Coast Stadium look it up get it on your bucket list uh, <laughs> more than keen to enjoy uh, a cold beverage with some traveling emerging cricket folk albeit following a different sport but yeah it's been good to welcome in the new year uh to kind of open uh, another sort of new page uh new chapter to to get through life i suppose and good to be chatting with you about emerging cricket well, b- before we get to cricket I, I just have to give a little shout out to central coast stadium and uh the all-time classic video game rugby league 2 oh yes which featured central coast stadium and uh, i have a lot of fond memories of playing that game with mates and uh we always got a kick out of uh, of setting the venue to central coast stadium because uh you know that was that was our local and uh yeah i i mean the the winter Winter, New Year, Christmas stuff in in Europe—it's it's you know it's nice, but tell you what, I miss mangoes and I miss barbecues, and uh, <laughs> that's that's something that you just can't get here. More than happy to uh, to take up your fair share while you're away. Uh, to to bring, I suppose, to draw a, a quite a long emerging cricket bow here. I think Rugby 04 also had Central Coast Stadium on it, and Rudy Van Vuren would have probably been on that game. Rudy Van Vuren played at Central Coast Stadium, yeah. Well, I think he actually missed that game because oh. I think I looked back and I believe he was injured, but Namibia did have a game at Central yes. Coast Stadium and I believe he was injured the first three games of the tournament and it meant that he didn't play that game and I, I actually went to that Rugby World Cup game. Mm. They played Argentina, that's right, they played Argentina oh. at Central Coast Stadium um, and Rudy didn't get a chance to play that game. I think he missed the first three games maybe with injury and he came out and played uh, against Romania at the end, I think that was in Tasmania of all places. Not exactly renowned as a as a as a rugby place with the the southern states. Not really uh, in on the whole uh, rugby league rugby union uh, situation down there. But that's I suppose us trying to draw what is a very long bow into the Emerging Cricket podcast. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot in the last week. Emerging Cricket as a, a collective, I suppose, with beginnings as well. You chatted to beginnings. 
uh, in regards to the groups for the T20 World Cup in the USA and the West Indies and the APL and all other things. And they had a great chat with Brian Kane as well. So definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of all of that. We also did a reactions episode of the pod just going through the groups. And while we're on the T20 World Cup in the USA and the West Indies, was there anything else that stuck out for you, Nick? I, I keep circling PNG Uganda in the calendar is what's going to be one of my favorite matches there but just the way that the groups have been sort of set out I looked to that group B the England Australia Scotland Namibia Oman group and I have a weird feeling that in West Indies conditions someone might pull off a surprise against one of those two top teams and maybe sneak through I'm very intrigued by group D as well the Netherlands and Nepal and South Africa Bangladesh and Sri Lanka I think that there's opportunity there for for a team waiting in the wings to to really make a, a move but yeah all looking forward to that and as we mentioned there's a, a reactions episode of the schedule between uh yourself nick and i and i'm sure everyone if they if haven't gone back and, and listened to that make sure you do well speaking of of, <laughs> of going back and listening to things <laughs> oh no the no, 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 it's it's nothing bad. Just a bit of a plug that I forgot to get in, in our reactions pod. Uh, you know, seeing Australia and England in the same group as Namibia certainly brings back the uh, the 2003 memories, which uh, we we think back to that 2003 Rugby World Cup we were just discussing, but also Rudy Van Vuren, who was a key member of the Namibian uh, cricket team in the 2003 World Cup. You know, the match against England where Namibia were well ahead on Duckworth Lewis for a, a fair chunk of the match. Um, obviously, the match against Australia uh, decimated by Glenn McGrath. Um, so, you know, those are those are some uh, pretty sort of formative memories in my uh, journey to an emerging cricket nuffy. And yeah, I mean, the, the kind of full circle aspect of them being drawn in the, the same group of another World Cup is very intriguing. And, um, you know, if you do want to hear a bit more about that 2003 Cricket World Cup campaign from Namibia, I put together a, a retrospective podcast, uh, which is a sort of a look back at their, you know, their qualification campaign and, and all the matches they played. And, and kind of looking through the, the impact on Namibian cricket and, you know, a lot of interviews from players who were there and, you know, current players like Hedit Erasmus and, and how that affected them and, and all that sort of thing. So check that out if you haven't listened to it already because I think, you know, Namibia back in a World Cup, back playing against Australia and England is, is sort of the, the perfect opportunity for that. Definitely. It's a great listen. I remember going through that. I think I was going on runs and, and listening to all of that and sort of laughing at a couple of the stories in particular that, you know, Francois Erasmus had about the buses and the hotel mm. cards not working because they were already they already thought they'd been binned from the ICC trophy or at least the hotel did in 2001 on the qualification pathway to that so it's a great listen and recommend anyone to to sit down and, and give that a good whirl uh, as mentioned yeah big year in emerging cricket a, a bit of a I want to say a telling year I think we're coming into our sixth year of being uh, established as an organisation covering associate cricket. Oh, geez, don't say and, that. Yeah, that does make me feel uh, a little bit older. What we started in yeah twenty late twenty eighteen, so it'd be six years at the end of this year. But I think this is one of the biggest years out of the six that we've probably looked at. Of course, the T Twenty World Cup, as we mentioned, uh, Women's Pacific Cup coming up, which is a good initiative. The Men's Challenger Cup uh, on the ACC side, Challenge League Playoff, which will determine pathways for the next cricket world cup cycle and league two which is up and going again albeit in a different format uh we're still kind of kind of waiting for some official word as to how that all shakes out but it looks like it's going to 
now after all that sort of take a, a reasonably similar line as it did in the in the last cycle i don't want to speculate too much because we don't really have as much knowledge as as we probably should at this point about all of that but first looking at some news that will come out i suppose in the next month is uh icc awards and of course there are associate awards as part of that uh men's associate cricket of the year and women's associate cricket of the year we will sort of bring up our, i think our big candidates for those particular awards but it's worth noting that uganda's alpash ramjani has been nominated for the ICC Men's T20 Cricketer of the Year off the back of his uh, whirlwind 2023, helping Uganda qualify for the T20 World Cup. Took a bucket load of wickets, was actually made important runs with the bat. A crucial knock actually against Zimbabwe in their mm. qualification chances is probably the, to tie a bow on on all of that. So it's, it's good to see some representation there. And I suppose, again, just another indication that Ugandan cricket and, and cricket in that region in Africa is absolutely on the rise throwing some names out there in terms of men's and associate cricketers of the year i think scott edwards and, and his leadership at the world cup plus the runs he scored with the bat the catches and the stumpings keeping as well you'd probably put him close to front runner for that award but also looking at some of his teammates baz delay to help them get to the qualifier also took i think 13 wickets at the world cup logan van Beek showed up when he needed to that's just on the Dutch side. Mohamed Wazim had a big year. Brandon McMullen had a big year. Any sort of early thoughts on, on the men's side of things here, Nick? Oh, look, for mine, it has to be Scott Edwards, as you say. His captaincy, his batting, carrying the Netherlands through that World Cup campaign in a lot of ways. The keeping, always very tidy. Uh, just, yeah, his leadership, uh, as we discussed you know, you could almost play him as a specialist captain, uh, even if he wasn't contributing so much with with bat and gloves. But he is also contributing with with bat and gloves to the point that he was um he was kind of on the verge of playing some big bash cricket this year. I, I think he played some second eleven stuff for the Renegades. Or... He's been signed, Nick. Oh, there you go. Yes, uh, for the Renegades. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. So someone's been keeping watch of his stellar season, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think he can really go past the complete package that he brings, both as a leader and as a player. Some some other honourable mentions. If there's a kind of a, a performance of the year I think it's hard to go past Logan Van Beek with his uh, super over performance to get the Netherlands over the line probably the best super over that anyone's ever done 30 runs and then then took three wickets all on his own just to, you know just to cap off that amazing match against the West Indies in the qualifier tying after chasing you know 374 or whatever it was and and then to come back out and 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 just win it in that style for the netherlands just a sensational performance for the ages so if 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 there's a you know individual uh individual performance of the year logan van bakes got that sewn up but what about other candidates for you know associate player of the year muhammad wazim had a sensational year for the uae uh, top run scorer by over 100 runs uh compared to anyone else in the year uh in, in t20i cricket and in not too many innings either uh, 863 runs at a, <laughs> a strike rate of 162 and an average of 39 that's uh, pretty hard to argue with yeah so so he's been stellar um, but you know looking at that run chart quite a few associate players have had good years um, that you know worth worth bringing attention to Virendeep Singh averaging 50 plus um, your your boy side Aziz strike rate of 150 500 plus runs in, in the year Kamal Levrock strike rate of 160 uh, he hasn't played as much as a lot of other guys which is a bit of a shame um, but he had a, a fantastic tournament in that uh, that qualifier, the the uh, America's qualifier that was hosted in Bermuda. So yeah, a lot of a lot of 
good performances with the bat for um, for some associates throughout the list there. But yeah, Muhammad Wazim, I think, probably the, the best batter by some distance in terms of associate players this year, in the T20 format at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a banner year in terms of the quality of the cricket. And, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the, you know, <laughs> we've been going for close to six years. But this is, I mean, the, the quality has just been getting better every year. And, and you know, that that's what we're all about is... This stuff, it's it's good. It's worth watching, and I I just wish that you know more people would be seeing it because, you know, how many people actually watched that Logan Van Bake performance? How many people watched Bastelator's century to get the Netherlands into the World Cup? How many people have, have watched Mohammed Wazim's amazing year for the UAE? Not enough, that's for sure. Yeah, the qualifier I feel like got uh, quite a bit of attention, and I think those innings need to be applauded but there was that series that UAE played against New Zealand which kind of got swept under the carpet a little bit where the UAE were excellent in how they went about their things Uh, and same with the Afghanistan series that they've had recently they took a game off Afghanistan as well so UAE again I suppose it's been a bit of a roller coaster a couple of years with you know things happening in that group politically but it seems like they've sort of found their their little groove and continued on their merry way uh it's a little bit disappointing for them that we won't see them at the 2010 t20 world cup but that asia qualifier was brutal for them and they were a little bit unlucky the way that that kind of draw shook out or the, the semi-finals shook out as well so uh good luck to uae with what they're going on with next talked about the dutch they're in south africa now on that practice tour that Scott Edwards was flown out of quickly as the SOS for the Renegades after losing Quinn de Kock and then I think Joe Clark has been injured he was meant to keep for the Renegades and it's meant that Edwards is gone. On the women's side, the Dutch seem to dominate as well, primarily because they played both formats. I think Iris Willing and uh, Rabina Reich are probably in the conversation for those awards and they actually were two standouts at the women's ECC that we'll talk about in a second. But uh, we know the Thai girls played a lot of cricket and, and dominated. Buchatam is in the conversation. Uh, Henrietta Shimwe, uh, the Pachapudawong's bowling's been excellent. Esha Oza actually has the opportunity for UAE to go back-to-back uh, after claiming the award last year, Nick. Yeah, Isha Oza had another good year. Um, I, I think it's worth also mentioning the fact that you know, we had Mohamed Wazim at the top of the men's batting charts, and now we're, we're looking across to the women's side in, in the T20s, and we have uh, Vashnave Mahesh, who's topping the wicket tally for, for women in T20i cricket this year, in all cricket, you know, not just associate cricket. So, yeah, once again, the UAE uh, really making progress both in the women's and men's side of the game. Um, that that overall figures, I think it shows also that you know women's associate cricket is very bowling dominated. Um, most of the top wicket takers this year in T20I cricket on the women's side are from associate teams, uh, whereas there aren't many associates in the in the batting charts. But yeah, a, a lot of the <laughs> the sort of usual, usual suspects, Konsiweko, uh close, Quinto Abel had a great year for Kenya as well with bat and ball. Um, Henrietta Shimwe, as you said, uh, her under-19s performances as well in, in the under-19s World yep. Cup for, for Rwanda, I think will be putting her in good stead. Uh, Kerry Chan and Betty Chan as well from Hong Kong played a bunch of matches and, and took a lot of wickets. But yeah, I, I think the one that is really heartening is, uh, as you said, uh, Tepacha Putawong. Uh, 32 wickets for the year, <laughs> average of uh, uh, 6.09. That's some sort of uh, <laughs> some some 1820s level stats there. But uh, she's she's been sensational for Thailand and really kind of fitting into the role. I, I don't think she's even 20 yet, and and she's become one of their key bowlers. And you know, as that golden generation, Natalia Butchertam, who yes, she also had a good year this year. 
um, but you know she won't be around forever. So as as that kind of crop of players are retiring, players like Putawong will be very important. And and you know the fact that Putawong is still developing as a player and you know she's just getting better and better. I think that that bodes well for the future of Thai cricket and. Um, the fact that they can keep digging up talented bowlers has has been very encouraging over the last year or so. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the Thai success story just, just keeps building. I, I think once they get, you know, a couple more batters, um, I, I know we keep saying that, but a couple more batters to join Chantam at the top of the order, I, I think they'll be, you know, <laughs> incredibly strong. Yeah, having sort of looked over... Or I actually talked to Ryan Morgan, who's a, a patron uh, at Emerging Cricket, who uh, is sort of a f- keen follower of the Thai domestic setup. There are a couple of uh, young batters coming through who are not quite ready for national selection, but are always chiming in and making big scores in uh, age level cricket and, and domestic cricket in the country. So I'm sure we'll see uh, a couple stand up but it is an interesting moment for them to really build a, a I suppose a second generation of the the Thai international team and uh, Nasser Hussain actually uh, made a bit of a point of it in one of his videos that he did uh, ICC launched a new sponsorship with Coca-Cola and they did some women's teams to watch and he did pinpoint Thailand again as a team that's uh, obviously on the precipice of of challenging the bigger teams in the world, but also with some younger players starting to come through. And the Pachaputawong is is a great example of, of that next generation coming through. To stick uh, to the women's side and to stick to associate cricket, we saw the Dutch give a pretty good account of themselves at the Women's European Cricket Championships that were held sort of over that December, sort of late December period. We haven't had the chance to, to talk about it as yet in great detail. We haven't really been able to sit down and have a proper pod recording uh, over what was a pretty busy Christmas and, and holiday period, but everyone sort of going back to Spain, playing in this European Cricket Championship, it was the England eleven who did take it out, so not an associate team, though they were challenged by uh, the Dutch in the final. It was a five-team competition uh, on top of the England eleven that uh, Dutch women, Italy, Spain, Austria. Uh, every team won a game at the tournament, including Austria. There was sort of a semi-final format despite having just five teams. So it was a good opportunity for, I suppose, your ranking or your finish in the in the group to dictate, you know, how those semifinals played out. But uh, it was pretty comfortable for England in the end. But to look uh, through the associate lens, it was two players that we've already mentioned, Iris Willing and Rabina Riker for the Dutch, who really did stand out. Uh, I was willing 409 runs in 10 innings. I think she struck at 250 or something ridiculous. And then uh, Rabina Riker scored 270 runs and had a strike rate of over 200 and took eight wickets as well. We've seen, I think the lament has been that in associate cricket and in terms of their strength relatively on the men's side, the, the Dutch are still slowly building a team together on the women's side, but it was a good 2023 for them. You know, they qualified for the global qualifier for their T20 World Cup, which will be in UAE on the road to Bangladesh. So there are good signs. We know the KNTB, we think, have turned a corner in the way that they're organised as well. And it only seems to bode well for the women's team as well to, after seeing some of these results, knowing that, yeah, they, they look to be starting to build something a little bit stronger on, on that side of things anyway Nick. Yeah I think the Dutch they're, they're in this kind of awkward spot aren't they because they're clearly better than the the next tier down of Italy and Spain and, and those kinds of teams in women's cricket but they're also behind the likes of Scotland and Ireland in the European game as well so they're, they're in this kind of awkward in-between 
stage where it takes something pretty special for them to get past a, a Scotland or an Ireland, but at the same time, they're, they're really expected to be beating everyone else. And yeah, I mean, they, they have beaten Scotland and Ireland in the past, but it, it's it's unusual and, and you know, they need to get more consistent at, at, at being competitive this year, or 2023. Um, they had a three-match series, which they lost 3-0. So, you know, it's it's still a work in progress, but I guess the, the big point, as always, with, with a lot of these women's teams is... You know, they just need to get more of a player base, and, and this is something you know you hear a lot from uh, you know so people involved in the Dutch scene is that basically they just have not invested as much as they probably could or should into the women's club scene, and and as a result, there just aren't enough players to be picking from. So yeah, definitely some work to go for the Dutch women's side, but also yeah, an encouraging performance here in the the T10 format, which you know you can't necessarily. Uh, read too much into because it's a bit different to what these players are, are kind of used to in, in regular play. But yeah, kind of wrapping back to that that point about the Netherlands being in, in this kind of in-between stage, the fact that they are beating these other teams pretty comprehensively indicates that, you know, the rest of European cricket still has uh, a bit of a way to go before they catch up to the Netherlands and, and get competitive at, at that level. So yeah, interesting as a bit of a yardstick. Uh, you, you always see some <laughs> some pretty crazy stats in, in the T10 format, but uh, 250 50 strike rate is uh, is pretty hard to top um and you know just on that kind of more general point I, I think this is really good from the european cricket championship you know the the ecn network dan weston's uh, baby in europe uh, it's it's good that they're including a women's event you know not quite off the bat um there was a men's event for the last year or two maybe but you know pretty early on and they're they're, they're investing in that basically straight away and a lot of leagues and, and franchise stuff and, you know, th- there is a lot of cricket that's kind of being started and, and new ventures that are popping up and, and a lot of them don't really have any plan for the women's side. So the fact that the ECN is, from the bat, going hard on women's cricket is, is something that's very encouraging and, and, you know, there's there's a lot of room to grow and I, I think it's um, it's something that... You, know, you think back to when Dan Weston was, was starting this whole operation kind of around the same time... Uh, emerging cricket started maybe uh, there's about a year difference between the two but uh, roughly around the same kind of time frame one of the guiding principles for western and and the whole project was to be able to provide a, a kind of professional opportunity for cricketers in europe and you know there's been kind of varying degrees of success with that but you know the the, the fact that they're including the women's side in that whole project having a level of professionalism is exactly what you need uh, to get up to be beating the top members in your region and and you know thinking back to Thailand that we were just talking about the fact that they contracted their players and have had that professionalism for a number of years now that's really flowed through and and that's allowed them to be competitive in their region so yeah I, I think there's a lot to lots to like about the European cricket championship in general you know an international t10 format basically only for associates a kind of a, an England invitational a lot of uh, emerging players from these teams get a go um so yeah it's 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 a fun tournament and and some good development work happens and the fact that they're expanding that over to the women's side very encouraging yeah it's an interesting point uh the dutch i think you're in that spot that they've tasted a little bit of success against scotland in the past uh and thailand as well i think for memory and yeah you have to think too that it was italy that actually beat the england 11 at this tournament as well which mm, goes point. to show that there is some talent there at least individually just looking at at some of the main performers uh matnara ratanaika for italy the keeper bat uh was a, a highlight of of their campaign as well so 
there are movements, but I think you're right. These these things take a long time to to change. At least our mindset to kind of change on them as well. Uh, the Dutch, I think, in comparison maybe to their men's program, there's still a lot of catching up to do. But yeah, there are signs, as you mentioned. You know, Rabina Riker was crowned MVP of the tournament um, through her performance, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, Riker and Zwilling are probably. Uh, candidates for Associate Women's Player of the Year. We don't really know what Stara Callis is doing uh, in terms of her career, looking to push into the England sort of domestic setup uh, and beyond. We're not too sure what that would all entail. But yeah, there are signs here. And again, I think we need to acknowledge probably that, you know, European cricket and, and these sorts of tournaments are probably a good avenue for uh, just continued play and and allowing these teams to test each other uh, in order to, to build themselves up because we've seen, you know, a number of regions around the world, both in men's and women's cricket, who seem to profit by just playing a lot more and, and the geographical nature of, of where they're positioned as well. I know Europe's a little bit more of a challenge, Nick, given, uh, I suppose, the, the distances between maybe some members, but by the same token, you know, the, the Dutch and... You know, if they were to play Scotland a little bit more or to host Scotland or to travel to Scotland, it's not a big trip. And and also, too, you add the fact that everyone seems to enjoy going to Spain to play these events as well. It just shows that, yeah, there's through consistent matches and and tournaments, there is a a growth there. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) everyone just enjoys going to Spain full stop, I think, uh, especially in the the colder climes in Europe. Uh, It's a very popular holiday destination uh there's it's kind of um the canary islands i've discovered are basically the the bali of scandinavia in that uh, there's kind of a a a huge industry in icelanders and and danes uh going over to uh you know lie on the beach and and whatnot in the canary Islands. so yes everyone everyone loves going to spain so that is definitely an advantage for these tournaments and it's something spain has been quite clever with i think we should acknowledge in terms of you know attracting a lot of teams for for men's cricket certainly um we've talked of course to Corey rutgers about their attempts to use the ranking system to break into the the one day structure and uh yeah they ultimately they they fell just short on that on ranking points but yeah they gave it a really good crack and yeah the fact that they do have those those good facilities um allowed them to attract a lot of teams to to come and tour and and hopefully you know as as the kind of women's game develops as well in spain we'll we'll see the same thing happening on the women's side and you know this tournament of course is is a good step along that way in terms of giving opportunities to a lot of uh, european women's cricketers um yeah and and certainly good that you you mentioned that win by italy over the england 11 um it does show i guess that there is maybe a little more parity than than i was giving them credit for but um yeah i, I think the netherlands did definitely show that they were they were one step ahead of of everyone else the cliche that you know the shorter the format the better chance the less fancy team has of winning probably rings true in in t10 uh and having one or two gun individuals certainly helps but uh, i can only be a good thing i I think if italy are are beating those types of of teams at this level and it just gives uh a nice little kickstart to to cricket and the players in all those teams you know thinking that they can go back and and repeat the dose you know european cricket's been great in terms of holding this tournament um it's been a long time coming and a long time planning so yeah, a massive shout out to everyone who's been involved in it again using spain as as just the base for what they want to achieve and we've seen the ecs basically the the rolling carnival of cricket around parts of of europe and 
more cricket that's played basically every day and you can find it live on on the emerging cricket facebook page um thanks to the beauty of of cross posting as well so there's always something happening in european cricket and it's actually hard to kind of keep up just because there is so much but you know we like to think that we can stick around and 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 sit down and and pay attention to a lot of the the bigger tournaments that they do put through and then yeah if we see something sort of happening in some of those ECS events we're up and about it as well so yeah once again uh well done to everyone involved it seems like uh again there's some uh added growth in in that region and just yeah the the beauty of having more games we know that everyone's desperate for them um given that the pathways for icc events are while there are more now there's the fixtures are still a bit few and far between and yeah these matches just trickling in and adding to the calendar only help cricket in all of these places so well done to everyone involved let's move to the under 19 cricket world cup which begins in south africa of course it's been moved from sri lanka uh, as I think we've noted uh, in a previous podcast, but a number of regional qualifiers uh, from an associate point of view, Namibia, Nepal, Scotland, and the USA. Uh, unfortunately, no associate out of the EAP region due to New Zealand uh, going through regional qualification. Um, it meant that, yeah, there wasn't an automatic spot for anyone else in the EAP region. But Slightly different format. It's still the four groups of four, although the format for the Super Sixes and beyond uh, is a little different, and it will, I believe, not quite help the last place team in any of the four groups a whole lot. They will play a placement match afterwards, but uh, they don't get to play as many matches as they did uh, back in the old plate format in previous tournaments, which is a little bit disappointing. But looking at the associates across each group the u.s uh in group a with india bangladesh and ireland scotland with south africa england and the west indies namibia with australia sri lanka and zimbabwe and then nepal with afghanistan new zealand and pakistan it's actually quite interesting just eyeballing these groups now that a lot of these teams actually meet each other in the t20 world cup as well just looking at say namibia and australia and uh, England and Scotland. Uh, England and Scotland will be a nice little battle here at the Under-19 World Cup as well. But uh, Afghanistan and New Zealand, for instance, being grouped together as well. So the Super Sixes takes a, a different format. The top three teams would go through. The Group A top three and the Group D top three meet in one group. And then the Group B and C top three meet in the other. And what happens is, is you actually avoid the corresponding finisher in the other group. So... Looking at Group 1, for instance, the first-place finisher in Group A won't play the first-place finisher in Group D, instead playing the second- and third-place finishers. So it does reward teams for trying to top the group. I'm interested to get your take, Nick, in terms of uh, the format because you know we've seen in times gone past, at least it's given an opportunity. Even if an associate doesn't perform at these tournaments, they get the opportunity to play through the plate stage of the tournament, which ultimately used to decide the places, I think, from 8 to 16. Now, uh, you've only really got placement games that would decide 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. And, yeah, you're only playing, I, I believe, only one match. on the. Uh, so the last place finisher in Group A plays the last place finisher in Group D, and the same with B and C. So uh, a little bit disappointing maybe in terms of matches played, but I think... Ultimately, the, the first point needs to be raised that this is just a great opportunity for some of the associates best on the under-19 men's side to, to test themselves against uh, their full member counterparts at this level. Yeah, the format 
I think it's the same one that we saw in the women's uh, under-19s World Cup, which which was played last year. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not convinced on this. The the Super Sixes, it's not even a proper Super Six. I mean, the ICC loves having Super Sixes and Super Eights and Super Twelves and whatever else. This is more of a Super Twelve because you know 12 teams progress to the next round but yeah two groups of six but they're not playing the corresponding teams in the other groups it, it just seems a bit convoluted and I, i'm not really sold on on how much of an improvement it is over the previous format where yeah as you mentioned there was the plate tournament which was basically another mini tournament and it allowed the associate teams both more games and uh, it allowed them the opportunity to to place and to to you know have another crack at some full members you know we saw uh the uae famously beat the west indies uh, a couple of years ago in the in the in the plate tournament and the uae finished a believe maybe even sort of eighth or ninth definitely ahead of of several full members in that tournament so yeah it's a bit strange that they've gone this way because it it doesn't make the tournament more intuitive it makes it a bit more confusing um it doesn't i don't really see that there's much commercial value because i mean the whole sort of idea of the under 19s world cup isn't so much that it's a you know, a big commercial event, more so that it's it's a development event, you know, for all these uh, youth programs. So, yeah, I, I don't know how, um, you know, what the thinking really is behind this. Uh, it just sort of seems like change for change's sake, which, which yeah, you know, why, why fix it if it wasn't broken, which, you know, yeah, in my opinion, it wasn't broken. But yeah, I, I mean, it'll be it'll be good to see the associates uh, going out and, and having a crack. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, a little interesting little byplay there with with some uh, T20 World Cup matchups happening here in in the youth stage, and possibly even a little bit of crossover. You know, you look at the the Nepalese squad, guys like Gulshan Jar and, and Dev Kanal have have been in and around the senior squad already. Um, Someone like uh, Namibia, Alex Volshenk, uh, Gerrit uh, Janssen van Rensburg, they've both played a, a bit of senior cricket. Interesting name to watch out for in the uh, in the Namibian squad is uh, is a certain Faf Duplessis. Uh, presumably, <laughs> I, I I think no relation to the to the famous one, but uh, I'm actually under the impression that that the South African Faf Duplessis is uh, has has some connection to Namibia, so maybe a, a distant relative, but. Uh, yeah, one one to keep an eye out. Um, and yeah, a couple of guys in that Namibian side, uh, as as we said, have have played a bit of senior cricket already. So, um, possibly putting them in good stead. Yeah. So uh, I mean, there's a lot of um a lot of good quality to look out for. Obviously, if you want a bit more of a, a in depth look at some of this stuff, jump over to the uh, the beginnings pod and and they talk about some of the youth cricket there. And uh, I I think the Americans. Yeah, you, you would expect them to be outgunned, but um, I, I think a couple of them might surprise, you know, might surprise the world with with a bit of quality. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's always a good sort of a benchmark of where the associates are up to and and kind of where their talent production is. Um, certainly, uh, Namibia they have had a kind of a rough few years in in the under 19s scene. They they've missed out on on a couple of events. So maybe they've got a stronger sort of talent crop this year. Um, Someone like a Scotland has has kind of struggled a bit in the past. Um, will also be interesting to see how their youth production is coming through because they've had a lot of turnover with with senior teams. You know, guys like Callum McLeod and and Kyle Kutzer retiring a, sort of a year or so ago. So you know, where's where's the next generation coming from? Or indeed, um, Tom McIntosh, who'd come through the under 19 system. You know, he retired. Uh, just recently, uh, even though he's still quite young. So, you know, where are they going to find replacements for these guys? Um, the under-19s 
tournament is, is always one to sort of keep an eye on you know how how their production is is coming along on the flip side too for me the under 19 always shows that it kind of does show the disparity between full members and associates not because of the results of the under 19s it's actually kind of the opposites the associates a lot of the time actually step up and beat their full member counterparts which goes to show that at youth level there's not a whole lot of difference it's only when you move into the senior spheres and full members play a little bit more there's just a bit more of a bolstering of of talent through more matches in senior cricket is where the difference is. It happens at a lot of levels of the game. I look at the example actually kind of locally where Central Coast and Newcastle junior cricket is always the same going through. And then once you get to senior cricket, Newcastle run away because the facilities are better and they play stronger cricket. It, it works exactly the same at an interna- at a macro level of international cricket uh, where, again, yeah, we've seen, I think, a number of surprises, probably more, a, a bigger percentage of surprises actually happening in an under-19 cricket because, yeah, you don't get that disparity yet. Uh, and it's a good indication of what players can be and what teams can do. So looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a great tournament in this South Africa. We know it's been moved from Sri Lanka, which might help the likes of Namibia and a few other teams in that regard. But yeah, good luck to everyone. And I think next week when we look at the tournament, maybe a little bit more in depth, there's a few names and players to watch out for. I've managed to kind of put the feelers out to a a bunch of people across the world and across associate members as to who are the the, the key players. And a familiar name, uh, Van Vuren, Zakio Van Vuren of Namibia, yeah, uh, Rudy's that. son, is also in the squad. Hopefully going to get a chance to sit down at least with Rudy, maybe Zakio as well. So uh, mm. hopefully some stuff coming from that too. But looking forward to it. Uh, just quickly uh, finishing off today, Nick, a couple of series that did play out over Christmas but did want to bring up the ACB by the ACB I don't mean the old Australian cricket board I mean the <laughs> Afghanistan cricket that board that always gets me I think Australia, it does yeah Australians of a certain vintage that's uh, I think that's always going to be there. no agreed uh, yeah we've seen uh, I think the ACB sort of backing down from a lawsuit with national team players here uh, it looked as if they had ripped up the NOCs uh, for Majiba Rahman Fazal Huck Faruqi and Naveen Al Haq uh, but I believe that's been overturned and now under some modified sanctions, they will receive central contracts and be able to participate in franchise leagues. I find it troublesome that a nation like Afghanistan, who is play, they're players who have enjoyed prosperous franchise careers and it's sort of been a big part of Afghan players' MO and how they build their careers through franchise cricket. I do find it a little bit troublesome that they've had issues with NOCs in comparison maybe to other full members. And we know that Afghanistan and Ireland are in precarious positions as full members, Nick. But I feel like it's a little bit troubling that now we're having even Afghan players in this situation and forced to kind of make decisions based on money versus international representation. Yeah, I think... (laughs) I mean, where to start with the Afghanistan cricket board? Um, there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, dysfunction uh, to go around. This little episode is kind of interesting because it, it seems like, I don't know, my, my kind of theory is that somebody had a bit of a word in the ACB's ear and, and kind of pointed out that the the whole NOC system that you know international cricket is, is based on, it looks, I mean, it's pretty rickety really from a kind of legal basis, but everyone just sort of, pretends that it's okay and uh, everyone kind of goes along with it and we all sort of have this fiction 
And the ACB, you know, putting their foot down on the NOCs, I think that could quite possibly have brought the whole house of cards crumbling down. And then, you know, you, you, you just don't know where any of this goes for the international game. So they've, they've backed down um, and it's allowed this kind of uh, fiction to sort of stumble along. I feel like at some point there's, there's going to be a reckoning in, in terms of the NOC system. And, um, you know, you, you kind of suspect it's going to go to a, a court of some sort at some point, but, uh, you know, it lives to lives to see another day. Um, but yeah, again, this just goes back to the, the fact that, you know, where is international cricket and, and how does that all fit in with the, the franchise leagues and, uh, you know, the, the power of uh, certain boards and, you know, the power of certain franchise owners in the face of boards in, in, in all the... Uh, kind of power struggles and and the the different currents that cricket's being pulled by the the NOC system is a kind of a a function of the the fact that so much of cricket sort of administration is just sticking band-aids on top of band-aids and and you know there's a lot of systemic problems that get ignored and get you know a, a little patch up here and a little fix there and everything kind of stumbles along but there's there's no, no one's really doing the the systematic thinking that we need to figure out how we can balance all these interests and you know keep international cricket and you know obviously allow players to earn a living, whether that's in franchise cricket or or, or whatever. Yeah, so I, I find this whole situation very interesting. And if the ACB hadn't backed down, I think yeah, it would have been a, a whole new world in terms of uh, where we go with international cricket. Yeah, not too sure where the game heads in in this regard and people much smarter than me can hypothesize on it but i think i'd much rather listen to yourself nick or, or someone like bird talk about this in, in greater detail because you guys just seem to have a better understanding of all of this than me well let, let me just put a disclaimer that i'm I'm not a lawyer of any kind so uh you know, take, <laughs> take, take this with a, a pinch of salt but yes i i think it is an interesting uh phenomenon that's everything in the emerging game this week the pacific cup meanwhile has got underway since recording. It began on January 17th, the 16th tournament. As mentioned, Cook Islands, Fiji, New Zealand, Maori, PNG, Samoa and Vanuatu. It's New Zealand, Maori to go on and take an early lead in that tournament. Two wins from two after the opening day. Vanuatu, Cook Islands, PNG and Samoa with a win each out of their two matches and Fiji currently 0-2. Also worth noting too that the ICC has unveiled the New York venue to host T20 World Cup matches in June. The Nassau County International Cricket Stadium is what it will be known. It's set to host eight T20 World Cup matches. Uh, The construction of the new modular stadium, a first of its kind for cricket as described by the ICC, is underway and is expected to be completed in three months. Again, that's everything in the Emerging Game. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. Keep up to date across all your social media platforms at Emerging Cricket and wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your week in the Emerging Cricket world.